Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word that is the focus of our attention today is our Gospel reading from Luke chapter 24. Please rise as we hear again verses 30 to 32. When Jesus reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and began giving it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. Then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us along the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Thus far the text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Back in the late 1800s in this country, there was a movement that started called revivalism. There were preachers that would travel from town to town, preaching to huge crowds of people, many times meeting in tents. And they, they preached a lot of law. They were trying to get the people to repent of their sins and to turn back to God, thus being revived. They focused, these preachers, they focused on emotions. They themselves were very emotional and they tried to kind of whip the people up in their emotions so that they would end up repenting and turning to God. And the people went away from these revivals many times feeling much better because they, they had been changed. They had been revived. Now, you're not likely to see a lot of of revivals nowadays and, and maybe especially in the Lutheran church you're not going to. We tend to, to be a little bit more laid back when it comes to our worship and such. We don't really focus so much on, on the sensationalism and, and all of the emotionalism. But are those things really that bad? Well, let's contrast the tent revival preachers to the best preacher of all times, Jesus himself. When we look at this passage from Luke and, and how he approached these two disciples that were on their way back to Emmaus, we see that Jesus preached, but he didn't focus on emotions. He himself was not emotional, and he wasn't just trying to get them to be emotional, but his preaching did definitely move them. We'll see in this passage that we can also say that Jesus makes our hearts burn. Jesus makes our hearts burn. Each one of us can say that because we have heard the gospel. And the gospel is what brings that fire to us. As we've seen in the last few weeks, the initial reactions to Jesus' resurrection from the dead were kind of mixed. You had Mary and the women going to the tomb and, and being very sad, and then the women being amazed who, who saw the angels. Peter and John, they go to the tomb. It says that John believed, but Peter was, was kind of bewildered. Thomas, as we heard about last week, Thomas wasn't there that evening when Jesus appeared to the disciples, and so he said he wasn't going to believe at all. And then you have these two disciples who are traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And we can definitely say they were disappointed. 
But that gospel, that gospel fire overcomes our disappointment. Now maybe disappointment is not quite strong enough to describe these two disciples. They were really bummed out. We can almost picture them just trudging down the road after they had heard various reports about Jesus' body being missing. They had stuck around a bit there in Jerusalem and then finally decided to, to head back to Emmaus. And when Jesus approached them and started walking along with them, it says that they were saddened. We can imagine that they maybe had their heads down, their shoulders stooped, they're just trudging along because of this sadness. And the reason for their sadness, they thought Jesus was gone. When Jesus asked them what they were talking about, they explained what had happened in the last few days, and then they said, we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. They knew that the Messiah was supposed to come and, and bring relief to his people, bring forgiveness of sins to his people, free them from their slavery to sin. And they believed that Jesus was this Messiah. But now Jesus was dead. He was gone. Their, their hope for, for freedom from their slavery to sin was also gone. It reminds me of a story about Martin Luther. Now this is a story, I don't know for sure that it's true, but it makes a good point. There was one time that, that Luther was really, really down and acting just like there was no hope. And so Katie, his wife, decided to try and shake things up a bit. And so she dressed all in black and went to his study. And Luther looked at her and, and asked whose funeral she was going to. And she said, well, I figured with the way that you were acting that God must be dead. And so I wanted to join you in your mourning. Now, I'm not talking about depression per se because that's a real thing. But are there times when people look at us and they wonder about what kind of hope we have? Do you live your life going through life just kind of down and, and negative all the time? while really we should have the ultimate hope because we do have the ultimate hope of our risen Lord. Jesus is not dead. He is our living Savior who has defeated sin. Even our sins of acting hopeless when, when we do have hope. He's our living Savior who defeated death for us, showing beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is more to life than, this, than just this life. He is waiting for us in heaven. We have that life with Him in heaven. The fact is that, that Jesus is alive. The implications of His resurrection definitely bring a burning to our hearts because we have a risen Savior. And because we do, we have hope. We have no reason to be disappointed that Jesus died because His death and His resurrection blow all of our disappointment away. Disappointment isn't the only thing that Jesus overcomes. He also overcomes our confusion. Periodically, the hardest time for me to think is when there are all kinds of things going on all at once. 
They have a hard time focusing on the big picture because we've got all of the details going around in our minds. And maybe that was the state with these two disciples. You think about what they had experienced over the past few days. Jesus had been betrayed. He had been crucified. And, and now His body is, is not in the grave. They're not thinking very clearly. They can't see the, the overall story. And that's why Jesus comes to them and He says, how foolish you are. They obviously were not thinking clearly. They must have uh, forgotten or, or weren't thinking very clearly about everything that the Old Testament had said about what was going to happen to the Messiah, that He would be betrayed and killed and rise from the dead. And so along with the other disciples, these two were confused. They didn't know what sense to make of everything that happened over the past few days. So what did Jesus do? Well, He comes and He tells them they're being foolish, but He doesn't stop there. He goes on and it says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Jesus didn't want these disciples to remain confused. He wanted to build them up in their faith. He wanted to build them up in their trust in Him as their Savior. He wanted them to realize that everything was going according to plan. His plan. And where was that plan? That plan was in the Scriptures. All along, it had been there. And yes, Jesus had explained His, his plan to the disciples on numerous occasions, but that plan was in the Word. Just as it is for us right now. Jesus is still explaining His plan to us every time we come together to worship Him. He tells us why He came to this world in the first place to serve as our substitute. Living a perfect life because we can't. To serve as our sacrifice. Offering Himself on the cross so that we don't have to die. To serve as our Savior rising from the dead to guarantee our resurrection from the dead also we don't have to be confused about why jesus came or or what we need to believe jesus came he lived he died he rose to save us from eternal death to give us eternal life and as we hear that message our faith our trust in jesus is built up our hearts burn within us because we know the truth of Jesus' resurrection. And that gospel fire from our risen Lord also overcomes our grief. Look at the reaction of the two disciples when they realized when, when Jesus was revealed to them. Immediately their talk turned from, from being sad to being happy. The very appearance of Jesus was more than enough to chase away any grief, any sadness that they had. Now maybe we feel like we're at a disadvantage compared to these two disciples. We don't have Jesus walking along with us, talking with us, having supper with us. Or do we? Is Jesus here? Well, we know that Jesus is here with us. Every time that His Word is, is preached and taught, Jesus is here. 
Every time that, that someone is baptized, Jesus is with us because He is there in His Word connected to those waters. Every time that we celebrate His Supper, He's here giving us His very body and blood to eat and drink for the forgiveness of our sins. But Jesus is here with us in a real sense. When He said, I am with you always, He wasn't just talking about in a spiritual sense, in a nice kind of make-you-feel-good sense. But he was talking about being here with us. We don't see him. We don't see him with our physical eyes. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he is here. Wherever two or three come together in my name, he says, there I am with them. We are in the presence of Jesus. And when we are in his presence, we can't be grieving because we do have hope. As Jesus said to His disciples just after speaking to them about giving them their life, He said, These things I have spoken to you that My joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus dispels all sadness. And how does that make you feel? Well, Jesus does make our hearts burn within us even though it may be in a quiet way because he overcomes our our disappointment our confusion and our grief we can't help but be filled with with his love and be filled with hope in the day that those two disciples were experiencing that day was not over yet for them that gospel fire had burned in their hearts and and it does the same thing for us and we also want to share that gospel with others. Put yourself in those sandals, those tired sandals of those two disciples. They had just walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They had sat down finally and were, were having their meal. But then when Jesus was revealed to them, what did they do? They got up right away. And they went back to Jerusalem so that they could share that news of His appearance so that they could share that news with the other disciples. And of course, that was a natural reaction for them. They had already talked about all of their dashed hopes about Jesus. And now all of a sudden, in an instant, those hopes are resurrected. Those hopes are reborn. And so that inspired them to get up and go back to tell the others. So is it an unfair comparison to make between those two disciples and us in terms of our reaction, in terms of our willingness or, or desire to share the good news of Jesus and His resurrection with others. Well, maybe it is. For them, it was brand new. For them, it was very fresh. For us, well, maybe not so much. Maybe we've heard about Jesus and His resurrection for as long as we can remember Maybe we get to the point where it's a little more of, He is risen! He is risen indeed. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, think about what Jesus' resurrection truly means for you. That you now have an eternal life sentence instead of an eternal death sentence. Instead of spending eternity forever separated from God in hell, you get to spend eternity with God, with your Savior, 
in heaven. And isn't that worth sharing? Shouldn't we be happy that we're going to heaven? And, and if so, are we happy that we're going to heaven? We don't necessarily think about other people. Results of doing, of, of sharing the gospel really are unnatural. We heard that in, in the first reading today from Acts. When Peter had preached his sermon, he's, he's preaching, the people repent, and it says that about 3,000 people were added to the family of believers. The gospel is powerful. That's what Paul says in Romans 1, that the gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. When that gospel fire is spread, it will have an effect. Now maybe we want to ask, well, why isn't the church growing by leaps and bounds today? Why isn't our church growing by leaps and bounds, if that's all it takes? Well, here are a couple possible answers. Number one, we are not always the most faithful fire spreaders ever. Our sinful nature kicks in and, and tells us, no, this is not something that's important or it makes us scared uh, to do it. And number two, even if all of us were sharing the gospel 24 hours a day, well, the results that we want to see might not be there. The real reason is that God is in charge of the results, not us. He simply tells us to spread His Word, to spread that gospel fire. But He is the one who is going to do what He wants with that gospel. He says in Isaiah 55, My Word which goes out from My mouth will not return to Me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. His purpose at any given time for spreading the gospel, for people hearing that gospel, may not be that they are brought to faith right then. But he is still the one who is in charge of the results. And we know that the gospel, again, is powerful and it does work. Now, if this were a tent revival meeting and I were a tent revival preacher, this might be the point at which you are so worked up and, and so charged up that you're ready to get up and dance in the aisles. But it's not, and I'm not, so you can stay seated for now. From the time of our baptisms, Jesus causes our hearts to burn. When He came to us in those waters and washed all of our sins away through His shed blood, He has overcome all of our disappointments, all of our confusion, all of our sadness for a lifetime. Through His resurrection from the dead, He has also given us the ultimate motivation for us to spread that good news to spread that gospel fire to others. So I want to challenge you. I want you to think about this week, I want you to think about one person. One person that you can spread this gospel fire to. One person that, that you can tell about their Savior, that He's the same Savior that you have. One person that, that maybe you tell about your church. One person maybe that you invite to church. Keep spreading that gospel fire because it does have an effect. 
Amen.